When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. It's Purple Daily. All right, welcome into Purple Daily. Matthew Collar here. Jonathan Harrison is producing. Judd Zolgad will be back in about 15 minutes. Or so, we have Hot Routes at 3, we're going to have Zolgad, we're going to have Rami Makhlov, and something new that we're doing on Twitter, I'm going to do this every day, where I give you one of the Hot Routes questions on Twitter, and then we'll take your responses. So today, let me give it to you right now, and you can go to Twitter and respond, or uh, even you, if you want to, you can call Jonathan off the air, tell him what it is. Sorry, Jonathan. Um, you can do that if you want. It's 651-646-8255 is the number. Or follow me at Matthew Collar on Twitter. So for Hot Routes today, Sean O'Hara of NFL Network said that Daniel Jones is like if you put Peyton and Eli Manning in a blender. So I want you to take two quarterbacks and put them in a blender to make the greatest quarterback of all time. Now, a lot of the responses have been like, Favre and Breeze or Brady and Michael Vick. And and I get where you're going with that. What I was thinking more along the lines of is quarterbacks who are flawed and you're filling in the gaps with the other quarterback, if that makes sense. So one guy has certain skill set, another guy has another skill set, and you're putting them together to make the best quarterback. If you put Brady with anyone, it's like not fair. It's not fair to use Brady. Let's let, let's make Brady fast. Don't make Brady fast. Uh, so here's what I want to bring you first before we get into all that. We're going to go through my tri- uh, mini camp preview here, how mini camp will set the stage for the Vikings, uh, and all the camp battles. Uh, we're going to talk about that. Mini camp is Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday this week. So I'll be coming basically right for mini camp into here to tell you what's going on. So I've gone through all those positions and Zolgad and I are going to go through them, but there's another thing too. When the NFL schedule comes out, we go through it with a fine-tooth comb. We make all of our picks, and then we kind of don't talk about it again. And there's a draft, and there's more moves that happen, and GMs have been fired, and uh, OTA battles, and there have been uh, a few injuries here or there, things like that. So I want to, this week, spend some time on different sections of the Vikings schedule that I think are interesting. But before we get to all that, this morning I had a chance to check in with... A friend of mine, Bobby Peters, who writes books, he breaks down different teams' offenses. 
for these books. So he did the Bears, and he's got a new one on the Titans from last year, which breaks down Matt LaFleur's offense. And if you've been listening to the show, then you know how interested I am in the Green Bay Packers this year and how their offense is going to make Aaron Rodgers better. But I say that with a question mark. So I called up Bobby this morning, uh, and we talked for a few minutes here about just what it's going to mean to Aaron Rodgers to have Matt LaFleur as his head coach. So I'm going to bring you that, and then we'll get into Zolgad, the schedule, the mini camp, lots of things coming up, hot routes on the show. So feel free to send me those tweets about the quarterbacks who you would combine or who you would put in a blender to make the best quarterback. And, uh, yeah, so here is our conversation with Bobby Peters. All right, joining me now here on Purple Daily He is an author of multiple football books, including the Chicago Bears Complete Offensive Manual and his most recent work, the 2018 Tennessee Titans Passing Index, in which Bobby Peters dives deep into the mind of Matt LaFleur, the new head coach of the Green Bay Packers. So we want to break down what we're going to see from the Packers offense this year. Bobby, how are you? Pretty good. How about yourself? Beautiful summer morning here. It is a beautiful day. Um, Bobby, finally getting into summer. It took us long enough. Um, so I, I've been really fascinated, Bobby, with the idea of a new head coach in Green Bay because Mike McCarthy was all Aaron Rodgers ever knew, and by the end of the Mike McCarthy era, I think that Mike Zimmer could have called the plays for the Green Bay Packers, right? And and it, and it seemed that the Vikings defense was one step ahead of the Packers for the most part over the last couple of years, and now this is a really big change. So let's start with the big picture, and then we can work to some of the concepts that you discovered in watching back the Tennessee Titans. Tell me the biggest area you think it's going to be different or helpful for Aaron Rodgers to to be working with Matt LaFleur now? So I think the first thing, and, and Matt LaFleur talks about this, and I'm, I'm not sure if it was his introductory press conference or, or one of his earlier ones uh, after he got hired, but he every, everything starts and ends with the run game with, with this offense. It's built around the outside zone running scheme, and the play action, the screens, everything, most, most aspects of his offense stem from the ability to run the outside zone scheme. So for Aaron Rodgers, that's going to take a lot of pressure off him on early down situations and a successful run game. I mean, if linebackers got to worry about about running backs, you know, coming downhill hard at them, then that's going to make his job a lot easier in the pass game as well. Now, this was something that I just don't think the Packers did very well over the last few years was use their running backs out of the backfield in the passing game. I mean, Aaron Jones is an explosive player, and I know that. Um, in Tennessee, they had running backs who could catch the ball pretty well. I'm not sure that Jones has quite that level of uh, talent as someone like Deion Lewis, um, but it, I think they were just underutilized. So how are they going to, assuming that the uh, Matt LaFleur offense is much like what you studied with Tennessee, how are they going to get running backs more involved in the passing game? So two things jump out to me. Uh, the first one is, is a more traditional way. It's it's through uh, running back slip screen. so... You know, whether it be after a play fake or as the quarterback's dropping back, the running back kind of sells into the line like he's blocking. A guard center will come out with him. Uh, most NFL teams run these, but Matt Lafleur runs these at at a typically a higher rate than most than most offenses that I that I study each off season. So um, you'll see plenty of those. Most of the time he runs those. They're on first and second down. Um, not a huge third down play for him, which is a little bit different than um, than a lot of other offensive courts. Some offensive coordinators will typically reserve those for third downs, but the better play callers in the in the league, like Andy Reid, um, Sean Payton, 
counts uh, when defenses aren't expecting them. And that's that's something you'll I'll expect to see early and often. And the number two is something that the the Shanahan uh, the Shanahan offense, not Sean McVay, you know, obviously he's part of that system, that tree of offense, but he doesn't run these quite as often. He doesn't really run these too often, but um, option routes out of the backfield. So they call it, they refer to it as HB choice, and that's how I call it in the book as well. And that's that's a concept where the out so the running back will run it to the single receiver side. The single receiver, if he's on a, on a wide split, he'll run a fade. If he's on a tight split, he'll run a corner route. And the quarterback alerts that route, so he looks there, he peeks there just to make sure that guy's covered, and then he reads the option route from the running back first. So the running back will release out of the backfield. At about four or five yards, he has the option to either break out, break in at a 45-degree angle, or sit if the defense blitzes or if there's a, a soft spot in a, in a zone there. So um, the uh, Matt LaFleur, I think uh, in the book, I have four, maybe four different backside combinations he ran with it. Um, just to, to give the quarterback an option in case that that running back gets double teamed, but that's that's a, a that's probably the second most common way that they get the running back the ball in their in their offense. Talking with Bobby Peters, he is an author of uh, multiple football books. The most recent, the 2018 Tennessee Titans Passing Index. Uh, tell me, Bobby, now how? Well, actually, let me give an example first of uh, that that running back option play you're describing. I think Vikings fans would remember quite well when Sean McVay dialed that up for Todd Gurley when the Vikings played the Los Angeles Rams last year, and Gurley smoked Anthony Barr for a touchdown. That was kind of a similar play where he would have an option based on what Anthony Barr was doing um, to decide whether to go vertical or out or in on that type of play. So we'll see a lot more of that. I don't think we saw a lot of that from the Packers. Now, another thing I'm interested in here is LaFleur's working with Marcus Mariota, who is a mobile quarterback, and it seems to me like they wanted to use Mariota's mobility as much as possible. When Aaron Rodgers is 100% healthy, like he was not last year, but when he is, he is a very mobile quarterback who could take off or he can roll out effectively, throw on the run, all those things. How does Matt LaFleur's offense highlight that? So one of the biggest things, and this is something that Vikings fans uh, should get used to, as Gary, this is Gary Kubiak's stable, is uh, they, in that offense they refer to it as nakeds or keepers, where the quarterback will fake fake the outside zone scheme one way and he'll boot out to the opposite way and he'll have a uh, different different combinations, multi, many ways that the offensive coordinator can design flood routes and crossing routes to come to that side of the field, and that's that's a staple in in this uh, in this offensive system. Shanahan runs those, McVay runs those a ton. Um, so that's something that, that you'll expect to see Aaron Rodgers do well. Um, and that's something that McCarthy would use occasionally with him. Um, but this is something that's, it's, it's a huge part of the offense. Um, and like you said, with Mariota's running ability, they use, um, they use a, quite a bit of, uh, quarterback, like design quarterback runs, like they'd run zone reads, but I don't expect to see those a ton with Aaron Rodgers just cause, um, not, not that he couldn't do them, but I see his, you know, his value to the Packers being astronomical, so they don't want to get him injured, so they'll, they'll try to protect him any way possible. And I think, um, you know, LeFleur called a lot of those in short yardage situations, you know, high leverage situations where the outcome mattered a lot last year with the Titans. And I think the Packers will have different options they can go to in those situations. So you, uh, in 20. Sorry, Bobby, you mentioned the roots of this offense being, uh, in the Shanahan and the Kubiak style offense, is this going to be like the Spider-Man meme uh, when the Vikings play the Green Bay Packers, Bobby? I mean, is it going to be like 
both offenses looking very similar. I mean, is it helpful in a way for the Vikings to go up against an offense that is so influenced by the guy that's on their side, Gary Kubiak? How much different or creative is Matt LaFleur's offense than uh, sort of a traditional Gary Kubiak? So that's, that's an interesting point. And I think early in early down situations, like first down and second and manageables, like, you know, second and second and six to second and eight, second and nine, I think you'll typically see, um, you know, and both both systems will run an emphasis on the outside zone running scheme. They'll those keepers or are, are, are naked actions are going to be a huge part of uh, of both offenses. Um, kind of where, and this kind of happened right around 2015, at least um, you know the, 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 from the film I've looked at when Kyle Shanahan, um, when Matt Lafleur was on his staff in Atlanta, he kind of broke away a little bit from that Kubiak mold and started doing some different things with the drop back pass game. Um, the systems are, like I said, very identical in the run game, the bootlegs, um, the screens are, are similar um, as well. Um, but I think what separates the Shanahan, LaFleur, and McVeigh's a little bit, and, um, you know, from the Kubiak side, is just the different five-step and seven-step concepts that they use. They, they're, I don't want to say more, modern's a bad word to use to describe it, but they're, they're different and they give the quarterbacks, um, and, and, you know, from my point of view, uh, easier progressions and easier um easier reads, easier throws. Well, I think it's something that we're going to be watching for, too, is uh, by the end of Kubiak's time in Denver, people were talking about how predictable the offense was because it was the same Kubiak offense that had been used for a very long time with the same route combinations and everything else like that. And I think that Kevin Stefanski's spin here on Kubiak's offense can make it more creative. So it would make sense that those guys uh, would decide to add to it and take kind of the foundation that he built. Um, Bobby, something sticks out to me here because we're talking a lot about Irv Smith and multiple tight end sets and things like that. The tight end slip screens. I think that uh, George Kittle benefited a lot from these with the San Francisco 49ers. I'm not sure that the Packers really have the personnel to be super effective with these, but how do they work when applied potentially to uh, the Vikings with multiple tight ends and Irv Smith who can make plays with the ball after he catches it? How do those tight end slip screens benefit an offense? So that's definitely a creative aspect. Um, typically, like we discussed before, the, the slip screen is usually a way to get, get the running back the ball. Well, these guys will use the tight ends on this scheme as well. They'll run it out of empty sets. They'll do it out of tight, tight condensed formations, out of play action, have all the backs – Pre-release and the and the receivers release downfield and, and let the tight end kind of slip under and let the guard and center come out. Um, so the so I believe I think Lafleur ran these maybe four times last year and like you said Kyle Shanahan uses them often to George Kittle just because he's so athletic it's basically like a running back with the ball. Um, so he's he's a great guy to use it for um, in San Francisco. But they're definitely creative ways to get the tight end the ball and you know they they act the same in the blocking is basically the same as well. So it for the offense it's not a ton of new teaching. It's just a different guy catching the ball, and it looks different to the defense, and they're not expecting it. So let me ask you, big picture, back to the big picture here. You think it's going to work for the Packers? I mean, is is this um, – see, because there's natural questions when you get hired – because you're kind of connected in some way to Sean McVay, but you didn't really have that great of offensive numbers. And I know that Mariota is not Aaron Rodgers, but I think that's the the question that everyone wonders with Matt LaFleur in Green Bay is just, hey, this is not a guy with a ton of experience. You brought up Andy Reid, but this isn't like Andy Reid. You know what I mean? What's what's your kind of big picture takeaway for whether it's going to work for the Packers to have hired Matt LaFleur? 
So you, I always want to lead with a caveat. Like, I, I, I don't know for sure. I'm not, I'm not much of a predictor. So, I mean, this could obviously go either way. But I look at this similar, similarly to how the, when the Bears hired Matt Nagy. You know, they're bringing in a guy from a, a well-proven system, a multiple system, a guy who has experience coaching quarterbacks at a high level um, with a lot of success. Um, the relationship between Aaron Rodgers and Matt LaFleur is, is uh, obviously paramount to, to the success of, of this operation. Um, you know, I, I just look at, at, at the different stops he's been. Um, like you said, Tennessee didn't have a ton of success statistically. Um, also, Mariota was hurt. I will say, when Mariota was hurt and Blaine Gabbert was in, there was a very stark difference between how the offense executed uh, when those two quarterbacks were, were shuffled in and out. I mean, there were multiple occasions where where Blaine Gabbert would be missing open receivers on simple throws, you know, where LaFleur schemed a guy wide open and, you know, Gabbert just, just misses him. So um, definitely that, that caveat had a, had a lot to do with the uh, lack of success last year with Tennessee. But, I mean, when you look at it, you know, when you look at a big picture, he, he does things right. Um, you know, obviously, being a head coach now is different, um, different responsibilities, a lot of different things going on. Um, Mike Pettin as the defensive coordinator, I really like what Mike Pettin does defensively. I think he gives quarterbacks a, a lot to think about, a lot of headaches the week, uh, the week that they're preparing for him uh, when, they, when they face the Packers defense. Um, so I, I think as, as a team, they're, they're in a good position to do well, but you just, you just never know, right? I mean, if Aaron Rodgers gets hurt week three, you know, my prediction is going to be a lot different. So, but the pieces the pieces are definitely in place for things to things to be good up in Green Bay this year. Sorry, Bobby, if you get it wrong, you're never coming back on the show again. That's just how it works. No wrong predictions allowed. High stakes there. <laughs> uh, Bobby Peters, he is the author of the 2018 Tennessee Titans Passing Index. Bobby, uh, a where can people follow you on Twitter, and where can they get your books? So you can follow me on Twitter at B underscore Peters 12 or no, uh, maybe it's B. Yeah. B. <laughs> do you need me to look it up, Bobby? I can do that for you. If, I've got the internet. If you got a computer here. handy, go ahead. <laughs> oh, this is great. Hold on. Well, how about tell people first where to get your books? All right. The books can be found on Amazon. Um, just type in uh, Titans passing index. It should come up. Uh, Bears 2018 Bears offensive manual. Um, once we get uh, the proper Twitter handle uh, stated here, my my books are linked in my <laughs> on my on my pin tweet as well. So I apologize for for getting my Twitter handle. Uh, Bobby, you're better at breaking down football than you are self promoting. Uh, it is at b underscore peters twelve. Bobby Peters. He has authored multiple books, and I can tell you that last year the third down manual for the Philadelphia Eagles was. Fantastic, and I learned a ton about the Vikings offense through learning what the Eagles had done the year before, and the 2018 Chicago Bears complete offensive manual is ridiculously detailed. So if you love the in-depth football stuff, then uh, Bobby's books are fantastic. So again, for you and the audience, Bobby, at B underscore Peters 12 is where to follow him on Twitter. We'll take a quick break. We'll be right back here on Purple Daily. Football fans, it's Mackie here for Federated Insurance. You might not know this about me, but I've been a business owner a couple different times in my life. I can relate to the roller coaster ride, the never-ending sea of problems to solve, the exhilaration of those incremental wins. If you're a business owner, I recommend getting to know Federated, which has over a century of experience in protecting businesses and making them as successful as they can be. You want a company like Federated standing behind your business. Visit federatedinsurance.com to find your local representative. Federated Mutual Insurance Company. It's our business to protect yours. Yeah, I mean, they've been great so far. Um, 
I can't say enough good things about him. Um, the transition to Rico has been smooth. They're really pressing the foot on the gas right now. And that's something you can feel is that we need to get better right now, and we're just trying to stack good days on top of good days. That was Minnesota Vikings offensive lineman Brian O'Neill back here on Purple Daily. Matthew Collar, Judd Zolgad in studio, and Jonathan Harrison behind the board. Hot routes coming up at 3 o'clock. We're going to get Zolgad and Rami, I think for the first time ever, a hot routes together. I'm right? super excited. Or, I think we, we, did it, we did it once last week. Okay, we did it once last week. But I'm still week. super right. excited. Okay, as am I. And I've tweeted out one of the questions, so if you want to answer it, go to my Twitter page, at Matthew Collar. I'm going to give you a choice, Zolgad. You can tell me which direction you want to go. Um, It's been on my mind that we haven't looked at the schedule for a while since it came out. And then we did all our win-loss stuff, and that was even before the draft. And now the draft has happened. uh, A lot more of the offseason has taken shape. Now we kind of have a better feel for every team. We could talk about that, or we could talk about I uh, wrote a million words on our website, scorenorth.com, about every position and how minicamp will set the stage for training Ooh. camp. Which would you like? The latter. Okay. Where do you want to start? What position do you want to start with? What what intrigues you? Um, hmm, There's a lot of places that intrigue me. But you know what? Let's start with an old standby. Let's start with offensive line. Okay. Which we all agree line. will be incredibly important to the success or lack thereof. Now, this is a weird feeling for me, Judd. I didn't write a ton of words on offensive line for how it could set the stage for training camp this week in minicamp. Because I think the offensive line is pretty set. How weird is that? There's no position battle. It's Riley Reef, Pat Elfline at left guard, Garrett Bradbury at center, Josh Klein at right guard, Brian O'Neill at right tackle. Set. All right, give me the dark horse at right guard who could push Klein. Uh, Drew Samia, for sure, the guy that they drafted out of Oklahoma. And this is where they are a little better off than they were last year because as soon as Tom Compton went down, it was like, I'm sorry, Nick Easton. Tom Compton goes in. And, oh gosh, I mean, this is not going to be good. One day, they're having Brian O'Neill try to play right guard a little bit to see how that would look. And it was very clear that Tom Compton was not going to be able to handle 16 games. And I remember thinking after Nick Easton went out, they've got to find someone else. They've got to find their Jake Long for this year or something. And they never did. Richie Incognito never came. And we saw how the offensive line turned out. As this line goes... You know what I keep coming back to is it looks like a pretty good run-blocking line. I'm not sure it's a great pass-blocking line still. I mean, Riley Reef is what he is, mm-hmm. and he gets dinged up a lot. Mm-hmm. So you have Rashad Hill behind him. Okay, we know Rashad Hill is just a backup swing tackle. Pat Elfline at left guard, that might help him a little bit with pass-blocking, but this division is really tough. Garrett Bradbury's rookie who's going to have to go up against the – uh, Akeem Hicks of the world as a rookie and run blocking. You might be able to handle that. Pass blocking is pretty tough. Josh Klein is not a good pass blocker. And Brian O'Neill looks like he's put on a little bit of beef, but that doesn't mean you can anchor down and stop a professional pass rusher from pushing you back. And Detroit, they went out and uh, signed Trey Flowers too to bolster their defensive line. So I, that's the one big question that I have that I want to see in training camp is how do they perform against the Vikings offensive or defensive line? We won't get to see that. So now, for right now, we can kind of get a little bit of a feel for who the backups are. Drew Samia is definitely a guy to watch. Uh, they also signed a guy named Dakota Dozier. I don't know if that's a thing or not. I like the name. I guess Rick Dennison liked him. Who can't they afford to lose? 
Well, it's always the answer is always the left tackle, isn't it? I mean, if okay, beyond that though, let let's go a little bit more inside baseball here. If there's one guy, if, if there's a an Easton like, I didn't think that much of that guy, but the replacement is yeah. just awful. Well, this is the thing is I don't really know if Drew Samia is any good. I mean, I, I looked at him at Oklahoma, but you'll and, find out in the next three days. I want you a little bit. <laughs> no, <laughs> come on, no, you're gonna find out just a little no. bit at minicamp. We will know if Drew Samia. Let's can see if you it. can block anybody, son. I would love a list of the players that Mike Zimmer has praised in minicamp. And how that turned out. Usually in training camp, if he's praising guys, they've got a shot. But in minicamp, Edmund Robinson, Isaac Frickty, Danny Isadora, these are the type of guys that, that he praised. Um, I don't, so maybe the, the answer could be Josh Klein. <laughs> Which is sort of a scary statement. It, but, it is a little bit. Yeah. Um, but, but Josh Klein is kind of the swing guy here, though. I kind of know what I have with everybody else. Uh, Pat Elfline will be better than he was last year. I have no doubt about that. Coming back from those injuries, we've gone over that a million times. And moving to left guard is actually a positive move for him. When you look at his college grades for pro football focus, he was actually better at guard than he was at center. And he might have even been a higher drafted guard, potentially, than he was at center. That's where his best potential always existed, I think. But he played center because that was what they needed the most. And he was... And that first year, he was very effective He there. was. He, he played he very well. Most certainly was. Garrett Bradbury, I think for a guy who's a rookie, of all the rookies, you usually go into a season, you go, I have no idea, because he's a rookie. Irv Smith, good example. I have no idea. If you told me Irv Smith caught 50 passes next year or caught five passes, I'd be like, okay, that could definitely happen, because that's a rookie tight end. I think I know what they have in Garrett Bradbury. He's just one of those rock-solid type of prospects that's very easy to project with a um, high floor, but maybe not a super high ceiling of being a megastar or anything like that. But uh, I think he'll be able to step in and do pretty well. If Josh Klein doesn't have it, you're looking at a pretty rough situation in this division. If he plays like Tom Compton or worse, you are are in a bad (laughs) spot. And here's the scariest stat of the entire offseason. The pro football focus grades for Josh Klein and Mike Remmers are about the same. And they play the same position. In fact, Josh Klein was, I think, two slots lower. I think it was like 37th and 39th in the league for grades. You did not upgrade at right guard very much. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe Mike Remmers' health was part of the reason. And the system that they're going to run, Josh Klein was running it in Tennessee. But you're not talking about a guy who's a whole lot better at right guard than you already had last year. How does the trickle-down of what you just said potentially affect the right tackle as well? Well, that's... Because, I mean, this kid looks like he's... Thing. He looks like he's improving, but but he's still a second-year player with limited time. So we're not talking about a Pro Bowl player here. So if, if Klein isn't very good... How much does that that then kick out to have an effect on O'Neal there? They definitely impact each other. And when you have a younger player like Brian O'Neal, you're going to try to run little what they call, you know, two man games with those guys, the stunts and things like that. It could definitely impact Brian O'Neal. But really, what's going to come down to for him is did he improve his technique and did he improve his strength enough to just shut people down? Because even last year, you saw. Someone like Clay Matthews, who's totally shot, being able to drive him back into the quarterback. That's why there was a huge gap between what his PFF grade was and the sacks allowed. I don't think he allowed a sack or maybe one. And his PFF grade, I think he was something like 61st out of 80 
because he was consistently being lifted up and driven back into the quarterback, but those didn't necessarily turn into sacks, but were more like so that's not just good? pressures. No, that's, so that's not a good thing not when good. you're being thrown into Kirk Cousins? He does look a little thicker to me from this year, and always offensive linemen talk about getting more buff yes. from their first year to their second year because they can finally focus on just that. And with professional outline for how to do it and everything else, O'Neal is a smart guy who proved last year to be, and Mike Zimmer even said this, and I totally agreed with it, tougher than we thought. Like, when he came in, his personality, he's like a nice guy. And I think I might have said this to you at some point. Like, I think he's a little too nice. He's just friendly and outgoing and everything and sort of easygoing. And I thought, okay, well, we'll see how that goes throughout the season. And it definitely changed his demeanor throughout the year. And he showed a lot of toughness last year. Oh, of course it does. Yeah. Yeah. He showed a lot of toughness last year that I was impressed with. He's got the potential to be the long-term left tackle. And we're going to start to find that out in training camp if there's that potential is actually there. Because year two is, all right, now it's time to be a player. Hmm? Year one, we're looking for signs. But year two, you got to play. Could it affect him if Klein is bad? Somewhat. But I think it's really just on him. Second position, running running back. Now, running back is interesting to me, Judd, because I don't know what they have yet in Alexander Madison, and I want to see throughout the next three days how they divvy up the reps between Madison and Mike Boone and even Rock Thomas and then Amir Abdullah. If you ask me right now, who's in if Delvin Cook gets hurt? I think the answer is everyone. Like all hands on deck that they would just have to try and piece it together because Alexander Madison, they compared him to Latavius Murray, but Latavius Murray is like a pro bowler and one of the smartest players in the league and an A plus pass protector and just, you know, all these things. That's a really tough position to just say, Oh yeah, we drafted this guy, fill him right in. He's a rookie. As much as everybody thinks that running back is super easy to replace. And I get why you think that go through the drafts and look at all the running back names. I mean, it, it, just because there have been a lot of guys who are not high draft picks who become good running backs doesn't mean every third-round pick is going to become some star running back. Um, Mike Boone's got a shot to be the official number two. He's also got a shot to be the Jarek McKinnon type. Abdullah can line up as a wide receiver. It's kind of an interesting group of, of mixed skill sets. And I wonder about Rock Thomas. They didn't cut him after the weed thing. But the weed thing... Because you said always draft the weed guy. And in this case, just they don't signed keep, him. Just don't yeah. keep doing the weed. Right, just don't keep doing the weed. But then it just didn't seem super serious. Like it, it doesn't appear that Rock Thomas is fighting any sort of significant charges or anything right now, and I don't know where that stands. But he was a guy that really intrigued me last year in camp because he's got great instincts, and that's one of those things that you just can't really replace. So, like, are you saying for blocking purposes as well, picking up protections? Picking up protections. that's hard to do. But where I saw it the most last year was his patience and vision. He's a former five-star recruit, and he's not the most athletic guy. So what that probably tells you is it's instincts. It's just pure football skill. Mike Boone is the opposite. Mike Boone has this insane, freakish athleticism. He wasn't invited to the combine, but if he had been, he would have had the the best uh, vertical jump and the best broad jump and the third uh, fastest 40 two years ago. So Hmm. like he's a freak. He's an absolute athletic freak, Mm -hmm. but he doesn't have quite the same sort of natural feel for it. And he told me the other day that he did not run his own system before. So he's going to be trying to adjust to how to run the zone system 
where Rock Thomas might have a better time with it. And Abdullah ran it in college and I think sometimes in Detroit. So it's that's a really interesting position to me behind Cook because there always has that possibility exist that Delvin's not going to play 16 games. What's the correct use of Delvin Cook? I love him as a player. Do you mean but, to not get hurt but yeah, still well, use him? To, to maximize his capabilities without abusing him to the fact he tells me now he can't play for three weeks. Yeah, that that's the part of it that's so what's that, harder to answer. What's that formula, though? The how do they use him would be every play all the time sure. and don't even talk to anybody else. <laughs> that, that would be how I would approach Which it. Which means by week three, you might have issues. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's the thing. So what's the formula? So here? I think it's Delvin Cook most of the time still. That I, I'm sorry. You've, you've had some injuries, but if you can't handle being the every down back, then we're just going to have to find somebody else. Would, would be how I look at it. <laughs> sorry to do. I, I know. It's very it difficult. I, I know it is, but you're just going to have to do that. I mean, uh, Delvin Cook is so much more talented than any of these other guys. Mm-hmm. In comparison with talent, these are, Madison is okay. Boone is athletic. Thomas is instinctual. But Nobody's even in the stratosphere of Delvin Cook. He's got the Le'Veon Bell type of superstar caliber talent. And LaShawn McCoy, he's that kind of like shifty and fast and quick and smart. And he could pass block and he could do everything. He could line up at wide receiver. I think they kind of need him to be that. I think he's playing. You think he's capable, though? I don't know. I don't know if he Remaining on up. the field doing had, that. I know. Because he had injuries at Florida State, too. I think you're asking a lot there. I, You know what I think? And we haven't seen it. It reminds Not me that. of, uh, do you remember the pitcher Jarrett Wright? You remember him? Oh, yeah. So there was a story about Jarrett Wright, who pitched, he became a quick phenom in, I think, 97 with the Indians. And there was a story about how they knew with his pitching motion that arm was going to blow up at some point. And they could have dialed him back. But they were like... We could win the World Series. And now, Go you, out there and and now you do. Go out there and throw 100 kids. Now you dial it back, yep. I think the same thing with Delvin Cook. But is, you're not going to, but okay, if if that's right over the course of the entire 2019 season, that sounds great, but I don't even know that he could hold up. If you actually start to, to just say, bleep it, it's Delvin Cook time all the time, I think after about five or six weeks, you got well, trouble. Well, I don't think that it's a durability issue in terms of endurance. Because he was always a bell cow back, and he ran the ball an insane number of times when he was in college. And even games where they asked him to be the guy, like that Miami game, where they're just giving it to him and giving it to him, those final three games, he was great in that role. I think that's what it's going to be like, is they're going to hand him the ball 20 times a game, and they're going to throw him the ball five to seven times a game. Okay. And if he doesn't hold up, then oh well, but you got to go for broke with this team. Right? You can't be like, oh, well, let's just let's just take him out for a series and let's just play that's what, Rock I think that's Thomas what they're going to try and do. Out. I, don't I think, think they, they might try and, I think they might try that. When you don't have Latavius Murray anymore, I think you just play him the whole damn game. Because it's such a difference between him and Alexander Madison. Madison could be a guy that comes in from time to time and is sort of more of a bruiser or something like that, but I don't know. I mean, we'll have to see because you never know running backs do come out of nowhere. That would be my strategy though is look, you are in Super Bowl or bust type of season still. Just go for it. Just, just play him just, constantly. Just play him. You got to win. <laughs> you have to win these games. You can't be sitting on the sideline yeah. having him watch Mike Boone. All right. Hope that Fair he enough. can be good. All right. We're going to continue to roll through this. But, Judd, before hot routes, uh, there is an article on the center of ESPN's NFL page about Sam Darnold, Baker Mayfield, Josh Allen. I want us to evaluate and make some predictions about 
the class of 2018 with the quarterbacks because they remain super interesting to me. Take a quick break. We'll be right back. You are listening to Purple Daily. So done better technically, and I'm smarter on the field, and I'm able to do my job better than I did last year. All the numbers can say what they want. Yeah, it's been great. I have to improve as a blocker. So for me, whatever helps me do that, I'm just going to try to stick to that. But um, the numbers and the weight and everything and strength is all good. But and that'll help. But the most important thing is playing ball. Brian O'Neill, right tackle of Vikings, there talking about his weight. And it is indeed the uh, combination of a little more strength and technique that could take him to the next level, as we were discussing in the last segment. Now, Judd, I I want to talk to you about this 2018 quarterback class because an article at the center of ESPN's NFL page inspired me. Um, The name of the article is What's Next for the 2018 QBs? How Darnold, Mayfield, and Allen could take off. Now let's extend it also to Rosen and Lamar Jackson, all the first round quarterbacks there. I mean, which one of these quarterbacks, Judd, has the biggest chance of just flaming the hell out? I mean, when you look at any of these other quarterback classes, the great quarterback class of the NFL, they always have guys who turn into complete busts. Yep. And after year one, we're, we're all smart enough to know after Jared Goff and Carson Wentz that they can take some quick steps mm-hmm. for sure. Mm-hmm. But also there are plenty of quarterbacks who never take those steps. So which one do you think has the biggest chance of imploding? I think it's a hard question to it's, answer. It's a really hard question, and, and I have to factor in the franchise because a franchise can submarine a quarterback very easily. I think I'm going to go with Rosen in Miami just because I don't know. I actually do like him, but Miami has been dysfunctional, could still be. You've got a Belichick assistant going there, which I absolutely hate now. Yep. And, and you know, he's gone from a, a, a convol- convoluted situation in Arizona now to the Dolphins. So I'm not dumping on him as far as saying that he's destined to fail. But the circumstances that he's been presented with seem less than ideal to me, and that certainly would not surprise me. There are, what, two or three different ways you could be a bust in the NFL if you're a quarterback. Way number one is you're just not committed or you're scared or you're just way worse than they thought you were going to be. So like Jimmy Clausen, way worse than anybody thought he was going to be when he came out of high school. He was a big prospect, college, and then just was terrible. And then there's the circumstance slash injury I would throw into this. Your David Carr, your Tim Couch. You're getting sacked constantly. Yeah, these guys could have been pretty good. And then there's the guy who just has a lot of talent but can never quite pick up on NFL football. Like he tries hard. and You know, we've seen lots of that. Um, I think Rosen kind of could be any one of those things. He had such a poor year last year, even though he showed flashes, and even we saw that in the Vikings game, some throws he made. But we don't know that he's going to turn around all of those things. His personality has also been questioned enough to bring it up. The circumstance, though, they can't pass block for anybody. I mean, he's going from a bad offensive line to a bad offensive line. They they lost their best offensive lineman outside of Laramie Tunsil, Jawan James, in free agency, and he wasn't like a big superstar anyway. So now They're probably trying to lose as well. They should be. No, I know, but that's not that. That's if you're him, that's awful. 
Yeah. So basically, yep. basically, they don't have good receivers. 2019, you are going to be getting hit constantly, and you don't have good receivers. Yep. You might have a good running game, but I'm not sure how much that actually helps you as a quarterback. And you might not actually be the day one starter. There's another article from the Dolphins reporter Cameron Wolf about how Ryan Fitzpatrick is leading, <laughs> which is no surprise. I mean, he's going to know the offense better than a and he's going to have a, a great kid. first three weeks. Matthew and always does. He's going to be he's going to light it up. He will be leading the league in touchdowns after two weeks. So let so into these categories though, you could see it happening for all of them um, with. Mayfield, we've all decided he's really good, but I, I'm not there yet. We've seen lots of the opposite way. Someone has one good year, and then it isn't as good as you think. And now he's playing with one of the most selfish wide receivers and frustrating wide receivers in the league, which should help him because Odell Beckham is great, but it also could hurt him if there are locker room issues there. And it's just a, a franchise that's generally abysmal. The Jets, same thing. Yep. Like they've improved. He's got Le'Veon Bell to throw to all the time. They're but, nuts. Right. Their franchise is a mess. And Josh Allen might go into the category of just being horrible. Like I can't tell with him yet. He's totally, I just can't tell. Totally inaccurate. He can jump. He can definitely we jump. We saw it here. He can, he he can, can jump. He can definitely run. But and he could definitely throw it 80 yards. Those are all the things I know about him. He is slow to process. And one of uh, my friends in Buffalo, Donald Jones, who uh, was a broadcaster there for a while, former NFL receiver, he was telling me every time he watched him back on tape, it was slow to process, slow to process, slow to process. And that's something you just have a tough time changing. If you don't have accuracy and you're slow to process, having a huge arm and being able to run isn't going to do a whole lot for you. Even though the Bills actually did a great job. They revamped their offensive line. They got different receivers for Josh Allen. Allen, I think, and Mayfield and Jackson all have good situations right now. And the other two, Darnold and Rosen, I'm not convinced that they can overcome their situations, at least this year. Mm-hmm. Darnold is, is the, the one that scares me because I think he is very talented. And and I watch him and think potential star. But, man, I watch the Jets then and think just a dumpster fire. Yep. Just a complete dumpster fire. They don't know which way is up. They're poorly run. They everything about the Jets screams potential to to take what looks like a good quarterback and ruin him. And he's one that needs development a lot. Like he's the guy with the arm that makes all the magical throws and can go off script and all those things. But if you can't do the things that are fundamental and basic to the quarterback position, it doesn't really matter. Um how you can make big and time gaze, throws, right? Is going to be great there with with him, or is he just become this weird? I I can't tell there. The, the funny thing about that is with Gase, so he makes his bones working with Peyton Manning, but that's working with Peyton Manning, right? Like yeah. I'm not saying it's not hard to be an NFL coach, no matter what you're doing. But you're working with a guy who knows as much or more. You're than You're learning you as much as teaching, and probably way more so. And in Miami. That team last year when they came to Minnesota made asses of themselves. They won a game against New England where, for some reason, Belichick put in a tight end at safety and they pulled off a miracle play. They were a bad team last year. Tannehill didn't exactly develop under Adam Gase either. He looked awful last year for the most part. I don't have a whole lot of confidence in him. Lamar Jackson, to me, is the most interesting of all these because he goes to the playoffs in Tim Tebow-like fashion where he comes off the bench and then you know he's running all over the place and makes a few big plays and then 
you you bring up the organization. It really doesn't get any more organizationally solid than Baltimore, though. I feel like if there's one coaching staff, one organization that could figure out how to mitigate his weaknesses and play to his strengths, mm-hmm. and plus, if we're talking about their personalities, I love his personality. I loved his leadership. At, uh, yeah, I loved his leadership at Louisville. I mean, he did the same thing that Teddy did for them, where they were a trash kind of program, and he just raised the level of everybody, and he's a tough player. I don't know. I, I think that that one, you kind of bet on what team he's playing on and plus kind of who he is to make up for some of those shortcomings. Now, who was it the playoff game against the Chargers where they completely stymied him? Yeah, they did. And so the question now becomes when teams copy that defensive game plan, can he adjust back? Yep. Which is why and I don't know. I don't know. They're putting in a new offense. But that's another challenge for him because he's a second-year player and he doesn't even get to work with the same offense. So do this for me, Zolgad. Okay. I want you to rank these quarterbacks by how good you think they will be, one through five, who's the best, who's the worst, in 2000, what are we in, 19, 2024. Okay. So we can look back and we can know for sure who's the best, who's the worst, 2024. One through five, one start, through five, starting with the best. I think this is still extremely hard. Okay. One, Mayfield. Two, and this is a leap of faith, baby, Darnold. Okay. Three, off script a little bit, Lamar Jackson. All right, I'll take it. Four, Rosen. Five, Allen. And four and five are, lar- are, are at least partially based on, on not just the kid right now, the franchise as well. The Darnold one scares me a lot, but he's so talented. My guess is he he is okay, but it's still a guess. How about you? All right. So I think Mayfield has to go number one here, yeah. especially with situation. Even though I have some questions, it's a really good situation. To is be Kitchens in. good, do you think? I, well, now, what's interesting about Kitchens is that he's sort of a Bruce Arians disciple, and he once played quarterback for Bruce Arians, and they've sort of come up together and that kind of thing. Or, or you know, I mean, he's been under sure. uh, learning for Bruce Arians since way back. And that makes me think that he probably knows a lot about handling quarterbacks because Arians is always one of the best of the best at handling quarterbacks. And I kind of believe in Freddie Kitchens. Now, will he be able to actually lead a team that's going to have a lot of drama? <laughs> Remember, I mean, they brought Sheldon Richardson in too. We've all decided since he was a Boy Scout. Last year, that that's who he is now. I'm not sure about that. How long's the contract there? For I think it's like three years. Okay, there's your answer. I'm just saying. That one year deals. Not, one a, year deals yeah. turn people into really good people for one year. Uh, that's that is very possible. Um, but it's you, you have to put Mayfield first because he showed the most potential last year. Beckham could be a stroke of genius trade that'll look absolutely fantastic, Matthew, or it could be a complete pain in the ass. So I'll agree with you on one. Okay. Now I think that. This guy might be on his third team before he ends up getting to the number two spot. I'm going to put Josh Rosen there. Oh, wow. I liked Josh Rosen just as much as Baker Mayfield coming out, third? and I'm going to stick with that for now. Third team, you said? I, Let's I see. I think Miami loses a bunch Car- of games. Cardinals, Dolphins. I wonder who the third team could be. Well, there might be a team with a couple good wide receivers who's having a quarterback come off of his... Three-year contract that paid him a lot of money. I mean... I'm just throwing it out there. It's an intriguing scenario still. But, I mean, Rosen, unless he plays really, really well this year, 
is going to struggle with that team. But I think there's still a lot of potential there, and he's pretty young. And I, anytime a guy is criticized for being too smart, I think, well, you know, if he just grows up a little bit and learns to kind of use his personality, um, maybe rub people the wrong way less, if that makes sense, I'm still going to go Rosen because I'm going on talent here. And then I'll go Lamar Jackson mm-hmm. because of the organization and because of who he is. I think he can do it. And then I'm going to say Darnold. Wow. Okay. Because I do not trust the Jets. And I also get red flags all over when I see a lot of picks. He threw a ton of picks at USC. He threw a ton of picks last year. It's the Jameis Winston thing. Do not overlook a guy who throws it to the other team all the time in college. And that's what Sam Darnold did. And Josh Allen just can barely hit the broadside of a barn. I mean, he's just not accurate. Like, call up any NFL quarterback who is successful. Sage Rosenfels as a backup. You guys talked to Matt Hasselback last year at one point. This question comes up all the time. What are you looking for with quarterbacks? What do they say first? Accuracy, processing. Those are the two things. Yeah. You could be great with those. That, that Those are his two weakest areas. So they've supported him pretty well, but I don't know if Cole Beasley is enough to really put him over the it's top. It's your old club collar. Yeah, I'm going to say that they're fifth uh, on this list, but it could all change very quickly. I'm going to be watching that pretty close. All right, you know what's up next. It's all good. Are we talking about hot routes? Oh, it's time. I love hot it routes. Time. Rami Maclove will be Highlight here. Of my day. It is time for hot routes. When we return here, you'll listen to Purple Daily.